today, a different host, but we're going to be having a conversation about AI and a specific type of AI called GPT-3 and how it could shape our future. We have a guest with us who's very familiar with a new technology named Glenn uh, Parham. Uh, first question, so can you tell us uh, about yourself, your background? Yeah, of course. Um, it's great to be on this. Thank you for having me. So my name is Glenn. I uh, attended UC Berkeley where I studied computer science and data science there. Um, and while I was there, I've always had kind of a an irking to study politics as well, but mm -hmm. there wasn't much overlap or intersection of those two interests like technology and politics. So I actually started a student organization, which is still running today called Political Computer Science at Berkeley. It was, it's a student org. Um, and what we did is use computation, like computer science to analyze a lot of different things in politics, like tracking how polarized Congress has got year over year. Um, now, because of the amount of computational power we have, we can actually track that for decades. Um, and it's been really fascinating to see how that technology is now applied to the political space. And that what, that's what inspired me to do um, what I did after college, which is create a political analytics startup mm -hmm. to analyze data, um, try to predict potential uh, issues that were gonna come up or trends in the political sphere. And then um, that company was actually acquired last year. And so that's what I'm still, I'm still doing the same thing, but now here in Washington, DC instead of San Francisco. Okay, cool. So today we're gonna be, um, the bulk of our conversation is going to focus on the emerging technology, GPT-3. So can you introduce us to what that is? Yes, okay, so I got the, the official definition of it. So I'll, I'll say that first. Okay. So GPT-3, a generative pre-trained transformer, it's an autoregressive language model that uses deep learning to produce human-like text. So when you hear that, you probably are like, what the hell does that even mean? It's, it's so, so much jargon, technical jargon. Yeah. But I'll equivocate it to this. Um, do you know the when you're using your iPhone and there's a little auto suggest thing at the top of your keyboard yeah where it'll try to predict what the next word is going to be like mm -hmm. i am going to and it might say the store yeah so it's it's basically that but times 175 billion so okay. that's and with that sort of technology you can do some ridiculously insane good and ridiculously insane bad okay so uh with this technology, so how does it figure out the language to use? Does it like sweep the internet to figure it out? Yeah, so the way it works is basically they took a bunch of data, written data from Wikipedia, books, um, the internet, Reddit, Twitter, like all sorts of all over the internet. Um, and they actually did that 175 billion times. They got 175 billion paragraphs, I guess you could mm -hmm. say. And they took that and spent, I believe it was like $40 million creating this massive model that is able to do so many different things. You know, it can talk about politics. It can also talk about, um, you know, neuroscience, all sorts of different topics. So it's very diverse. Okay. So you mentioned before that it has the power to do some insane good and some insane bad. So can you walk us through what that might look like? Obviously, I mean, that's uh, uh, an evolving question, but um, right now, what yeah. does it seem like that could be? 
Yeah, so I've talked about, I, I'm on TikTok, and so I talk a lot um, about GPT-3, and I'm trying to really right now just raise awareness for it, because mm-hmm. I think nine, like 99% of the use cases are going to be so incredibly powerful, um, but, you know, the cynic in me looks at the 1% that could be potentially very, very bad. Um, some of the positive aspects of this is, you know, before in a lot of different fields, like the legal field, laws, hiring lawyers, these are very expensive um, services to have. Uh, you know, doctors and medical field, obviously healthcare is like one of the largest expenses in this country. Um, and so what GPT-3 has potentially the power to do in the not so distant future is to really lower the cost for some of these really expensive services. Um, and so that's really powerful. And one thing I, I should mention is that Right now we're at GPT-3, but actually it's kind of an, it, it, before it was GPT-1, 2, 3. Um, Google is actually, you know, I've heard rumors that Google is actually gonna be coming out with their own version of GPT. Um, I guess you could say GPT-4 that is gonna be trained on like something like 10 trillion parameters, um, which wow. is gonna make GPT even more all-knowing. So, I mean, you mentioned that um, this is going to make uh, law and medicine more accessible, but should doctors and lawyers and other professionals be scared for their jobs? So I, so this is like, I was actually interviewed by the New York Times a couple of weeks ago, and they asked that exact question um, because GPT can also automate my job in a sense, yeah. because I'm a software engineer and GPT, I'm actually using GPT-3 to um, generate the code that I would have written myself. I am not afraid of automation because I think that at every point in history when there was some new innovation, mm-hmm. automation, it didn't take away jobs. It just empowered people to do less BS and focus a lot more on you know, whatever. So in my context as a software engineer or data scientist, I view it kind of as now I don't have to spend hours on like random syntax errors and bugs. I can just focus on building entirely new products like that. So I personally am very excited, but I understand why some people would be very hesitant. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the main thing that people say separates us from from robots is that I mean we have our brains. We can we can do things like like write legal reports, like diagnose illnesses. Uh, right. But I mean, now I think that's obviously why people are scared. That's not like a, a fresh thought. Um, right. And that's and you, why, I, yeah. Sorry. Um, that's there why I've go. been really adamant to raise awareness for GPT 3 because I'm aware, like, and people comment to this on my videos that I posted online. In general, Silicon Valley kind of inflates itself. Like, they'll say blockchain, Bitcoin is going to be used by tomorrow. No yeah. one's going to be using, like, you know, they, they often they, I remember 3D TVs were actually a big thing in like 2012. No one has a 3D TV now. So I, I understand a lot of people are kind of like, oh, this is some Silicon Valley tech bro kind of BS that they're just full of themselves. But like, this is it. Like, this is a very powerful thing. And the fact that I was listening to um, Ezra Klein of the New York Times, he actually mm-hmm. interviewed the CEO of the organization that owns this model. And they were saying like, there's no upper limit actually. There's, it's like, there's no limit to human knowledge. Um, and so as a result of that, it's like, I'm really trying to, to raise awareness. <laughs> yeah. 
you've spoken, uh, I mean, you've spoken about your interest in politics and on your TikTok, you mentioned that this can in impact the political landscape. Can you elaborate on that? How can it, how can it change politics? So this is a very controversial topic. I'm sure. Um, I, I think one thing that I've learned is that as a society, especially in the political world, I'm here in DC, people tend to um, not and really not anticipate or not be expecting the impacts of technology in the political world, i.e. Facebook and disinformation and all that kind of stuff. All of a sudden, you know, 2016, we're like, wait, what the hell happened? Um, and so what I'm really worried about in the political context is the fact that GPT-3 is able to do so many different things. I mean, write disinformation. Actually, Georgetown last week just today um, held a kind of seminar. They published their research on how they trained GPT-3 to disseminate disinformation. What they did was they took um, various articles from various uh, news outlets and they wanted to, in a sense, try to create false information about um, climate change and spread that on Twitter. So since and it can were, speak the internet and produce its own language, it can, it can write false articles? Exactly. And what's so scary is that because the model is so powerful, you can't even tell that it's a rope, it's automated or it's artificial intelligence. Yeah. And that's what's scary is like, you know, right now, if I go on Twitter and I see like a Russian bot, I can kind of tell it looks like a, looks yeah. ridiculous that they're talking nonsense. But when I'm reading these tweets and I'm like, oh, damn, that looks like something I could have written. Um, that's very scary. Disinformation and we don't even realize. It. So in a political context, that is very, very troubling to me. And from the lawmaking perspective, like on Capitol Hill, how how can it uh, shape that? Do you have any ideas or? So that also is very concerning to me. So I'm here in Washington, DC. I post a lot on TikTok about this. I get a lot of people on TikTok um, in DC that are on my social media, on my Instagram stories, when I'm posting about this like every other day. And what I'm concerned with is that I seem to be like surprising a lot of these so-called high-level government officials, top people in um, national security who are DMing me and like, oh, oh my God, I never knew about this. And I'm like, oh, this is not good because if I'm telling you about this and, and you're finding out via Instagram, yeah. this is not gonna be too, this is not gonna <laughs> turn out too well. Um, so that's why I'm very worried that we're gonna have another Facebook disinformation 2016 conundrum again, where mm -hmm. by the time the politicos and Congress wakes up to the power and gravity of this technology, it's too late. I mean, the model's everywhere. It's in the medical field. It's making ads. It's doing all sorts of stuff. Um, so that that's my main concern with the legal side. And do you think legislators have, how do you think they can mitigate the bad through lawmaking? Do you think there's a, a, yeah. a path forward for that or? That's a great question. I, I was thinking about that a lot. Um, I think the first step is them learning about the model. I think yeah. that's learning <laughs> of its you know potential and not just where the model is today, but learning about the model Google's about to post, which is like 100 times more powerful. Um, China, the Chinese government has also sponsored their own GPT. So this is like a kind of a worldwide phenomenon. 
Um, so first, I would really love for a lot of people in the government to be aware of this model. Um, and then, and secondly, for them to set some general parameters as to the use cases of this model. So right now, um, this organization or for-profit company called OpenAI is what has built GPT-3. Yeah. Um, by the way, OpenAI is fully sponsored by Microsoft. So it's basically just an extension of Microsoft at this point. Um, but OpenAI has been like gracious enough to, on their terms of use, say, hey, you can't use this to spread political misinformation. You can't do X, Y, and Z. And that's great. And like hats off to them for doing that. But like tomorrow when Google comes out with their version or Amazon comes out with their version, which I, it's going to happen. Like we can't just rely on the goodwill of these companies to mm -hmm. um, regulate themselves because in this case they did, but you know, 10 years down the line, foreign actors, like we, we, we need to set some ground rules of how this model can be used. Can it, it can't be used for, uh, to do misinformation. It can't be used to spam, et cetera. With misinformation, when it, when these companies say that you can't use them to spread it, will they actually be able to stop you? Or is that just a guideline that they set? Yeah, so at this point, yes, they could stop you. Okay. If they look at, um, they have the right, I, look, I read through all of their legal terms. Um, they have the right to basically review every time that you use their model. Mm -hmm. um, and any time that you want to publish or, or use the model in some public facing way, you actually have to get approved by them. Okay. So I honestly, like, I, I'm very satisfied with the way that that kind of protocol that they've set up so they can ensure that this is not being abused or misused. Um, but definitely needs to be more uh, law of the land. Okay. I think that's um, a good coverage of the situation. Is there anything else you want to cool. add? Um, no, I, I, I guess I, I would say go uh, search GPT-3 on Twitter. I know I've made it seem like a very scary, terrible thing, but um, there are a lot of great things that they're doing. They're using it in all sorts of different sectors, um, especially in therapy. There's been amazing work in using GPT-3 as like free counseling. So I know this whole segment has been very anti-GPT-3, but- Kind of doomsday, um, but- yeah, doomsday. But please, like, uh, go check it out for yourself. Do your own research, and hey, maybe uh, build something with it yourself. So, is there any um, way you can experiment with it online, or is it all like a paid service? So right now, it's exclusive beta access. There's an application uh, that you have to fill out in order to get access. Okay. Uh, but if you really want access, you can message me, and I can pull some strings, and we can we can get that. <laughs> We'll probably get something good for you so okay all right well thank you so much for coming on i, I think this is of been course super informative. i've learned a ton i think our listeners will um thank you so much have a great night all right cool thank you bye